This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah, hamdin kathiran wa tayyiban mubarakin fi. Wa ashadu an la ilaha illallahu wahduhu la sharika lah. وَأَشْهَدُ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا عَبْدُهُ وَرَسُولُهُ صَلَوَاتُ اللَّهِ وَالسَّلَامُهُ عَلَيْهِ تَسْلِيمًا كَثِيرًا أَمَّا بَعْضُ فَإِنَّ خَيْرَ الْكَلَامِ كَلَامُ اللَّهِ وَخَيْرَ الْهُدَى هُدَى رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ وَشَرُّ الْأُمُورِ مُحْدَثَاتُهَا وَكُلَّ مُحْدَثَةٍ بِدْعَةٌ وَكُلَّ بِدْعَةٍ ضَلَالَةٌ وَكُلَّ ضَلَالَةٍ فِي النَّارِ Come to the second hadith from the 40 hadith of the da'wah and the du'a, the call and the callers. The book that was authored by our Shaykh Ali al-Halabi rahimahullahu ta'ala rahmatan wasi'ah. Second hadith is on the authority of Abdullah ibn Umar. May Allah be pleased with both of them. He said that he heard the Prophet say, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, إِذَا تَبَايَعْتُمْ بِالْعِينَ وَخَثْتُمْ أَذْنَابَ الْبَقَرِ وَرَضِيتُمْ بِالزَّرَعِ وَتَرَدْتُمُ الْجِهَادِ سَلَّطَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْكُمْ ظُلًّا لَا يَنْزَعْهُ حَتَّى تَرْجِعُوا إِلَى الدِّينِكُمْ Tremendous hadith that describes in perfect, precise detail, the condition of the Muslims for the most part today. This is from the ahadith that are from the Dala'il al-Nabuwa, as al-Imam al-Bayhaqi authored his book, and he put in his book called Dala'il al-Nabuwa, those proofs of the prophecy of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And this is one of them. The hadith describes our condition. So the Prophet, he says, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, if this community, this ummah, if you become preoccupied with the commerce and you start to deal with al-ina, al-ina, which is a form of riba. Al-ina is something that is dealt with in the chapter or the bab of the Al-Bayr in Al-Islam. The whole concept of uh, Al-Bayr, Al-Ina is in this bag. It's a form of riba, usury. So if this ummah becomes preoccupied with usury and you take the tails of cows and you become satisfied and happy with agriculture and if you abandon the jihad in the cause of Allah, then Allah will cause you to suffer from lowliness. And Allah will make you low and base and downtrodden. And he won't take that condition off of you until you return back to your deen. And Allah won't change the condition of a people until they first change the condition themselves. They have to change their own 
condition. So the end of the hadith said, Allah won't take this lowliness off of this community and off of this ummah until the community returns to their religion. And their religion is in contradiction to doing the things what this hadith is saying was going to happen of negativity. So concerning the hadith, before we deal with the hadith itself, let's talk very quickly, inshallah, about Abdullah ibn Umar, the narrator of the hadith. May Allah be pleased with him and his father. In terms of his virtues, then hadith wala haraj. Abdullah ibn Umar, the fact that his father, Umar, was the second best friend of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam after Abu Bakr, that in of itself is enough from his virtues. That his father was the second best friend of the Nabi, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. If he didn't have any more virtues, this would have been enough. But you add on to that so many other issues, like his sister, Hafsa, the daughter of Umar. She was the wife of the Nabi, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, one of his wives. And Allah said in the Quran, and Nabi Aula Bil Mu'minina Minam Fusihim wa Azwajuhu Ummahatuhum. The Nabi وسلم, is closer to the believers than their own selves. And his wives are their mothers. So the sister of Abdullah bin Umar, the daughter of Umar, Hafsa, she was one of the Ummin Mu'mineen. One of the mothers of the believers. May Allah Ta'ala be pleased with all of them. Those two virtues are enough. We don't have to say anything else. Close the book. Move on next. But there are so many issues for those young people who are out there. Trying to navigate and struggle during these times. Trying to practice Islam. And at the same time, be a decent human being and make something out of yourself. Abdullah ibn Umar, may Allah be pleased with both of them, will be a guiding light for you from amongst the many companions. And that, he was one of the six companions from the youth, from the Shabbat, who memorized the majority of the hadith of the Nabi, sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam. Tremendous companion. He's well known for his tenacity and his seriousness concerning the sunnah. Abdullah ibn Umar, may Allah be pleased with him, was a person who was ma'roof, mashhoor. His situation was ma'loom. Everyone knew this was a man when it came to practicing the sunnah, word for word, step for step. When it came to those issues, Abdullah ibn Umar, may Allah be pleased with him, was serious in being from Ahlul Sunnah. Tremendous companion. And Imam al-Bukhari, rahmatullahi ta'ala alayhi, brought in Sahih al-Bukhari in the chapter about the virtues of the companions. And in the virtues of the companions, he specifically specified Abdullah ibn Umar. May Allah be pleased with both of them. And he brought the hadith from his virtues, and they are many. Hadith la haraj, as I said. Abdullah ibn Umar, may Allah be pleased with him, and Sayyid al-Bukhari said about himself that during the time of the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, if a man had a dream, he would take that dream to the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to be interpreted. 
prophet would interpret for him his dream. Ibn Umar said, I used to wish that I would have a dream. I could have a dream so that I could take it to him to have it explained to me. Which is an indication he was from those people like many of us who have dreams and they don't see anything. Or they don't see things that they can remember. Or they don't see things that may mean anything to them. Here's a companion. He's from the Odiya of Allah, Abdullah ibn Umar. He said, I used to wish and hope that I had a dream. But he didn't have dreams. Until this one particular occasion, one night, he had a dream. He said, in my dream, I saw that two angels came to me. Al-Imam al-Bukhari put this in his Sahih al-Bukhari from the virtues of Abdullah ibn Umar. I saw in my dream that two angels came to me and they brought me to the hellfire. And he proceeded to describe some of the hellfire. He said, and then after that, he woke up and he told his sister about the dream. His sister being Hafsa, the son, the daughter of Umar. And then Hafsa, because her brother wanted her to do this, in turn, told the Prophet about the dream of her brother, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Upon hearing the dream, the Nabi of Islam said about Abdullah bin Umar, Ni'mar Raju, Abdullah bin Umar. He is a good man, only if he would just pray the night prayer. Instead of going to sleep for the whole night, where he sees some of these dreams that may destroy him, if he got up at the last part, the last third of the night, and he prayed this prayer, maybe he wouldn't have seen that dream. I'm suggesting that he gets up for the Qiyam al One of the narrators of the dream, who was a student of Abdullah ibn Umar, Salim, may Allah have rahmah upon him as well from the ulama of Islam, he said, Abdullah ibn Umar, after that incident, he never left off Qiyam al Abdullah ibn Umar in the narration of Sayyid al-Bukhari, and there are many narrations of the hadith, he said, I used to be a young man, I was not married, I was very youthful, and I used to stay and sleep in the masjid. And that's where I had my dream, in the masjid. And then after having that dream, I went and I told the Nabi about it, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So he didn't have a lot of money when he heard about the dream of his companion, the Prophet said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he's a good man. But since he's in the masjid, he should be praying the qiyam al-layl. Ibn Umar said, or it was said, he never left off the qiyam al-layl. From being a young married man who used to live in the masjid, from Ahlul Sufa, he was from those people, didn't have money. His father is well known, but the son was living in the masjid. No one in his right mind is going to say the son was a bum, the son was lazy, the son was shiftless. He's from the awliya of Allah. Instead, the son made the ultimate sacrifice like his father did in Mayhidra from Mecca and came to Al-Medina. And now the boy stayed, the son stayed in the masjid. So the virtues of Abdullah ibn Umar, they are many. Concerning the hadith that we're dealing with, this hadith is talking about the fitna of loving the dunya, the fitna of loving money and wealth. Prophet informed us, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in other ahadith, إِنَّ لِكُلِّ أُمَّةً فِتْنَةً وَفِتْنَةُ أُمَّةِ الْمَالِ Every single community, every single nation, they have their fitna. And the fitna of my nation is money. Sometimes Muslims look at the Yahud, and they want to describe the Yahud, and look at the Yahud, and view them 
in the stereotypical way. You're a Jewish person and you love money. And not only is this, this, this way not okay, but the prophet said that the fitna of this ummah was money. So it is a great trick of a shaitan to have a Muslim looking at people who have the Yahud way of their background and their ethnicity thinking that they love money. All of them, they love money. They're ready to go overboard in money. When the Nabi of Islam, sallallahu alayhi wa told us the fitna of this ummah, the fitna of this ummah, our ummah, is money. Concerning this issue, ikhwatifillah, because the fitna of this ummah is money, the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam went to great lengths in order to explain to our community the reality of money and the danger of money and the dunya and the zuhraf and the zina of the dunya. We have too many ayat of the Quran, too many ahadith from the authentic sunnah of the Nabi wasallam, that tell us the reality of the dunya, warn us of its traps and also tells us about what can be positive if a person is in the dunya and he uses it as a stepping ground to plant seeds of khair from the good deeds. But for the Muslim to get wrapped up and to think that dunya, that's what it's all about, it's a problem. From those ayat, it's the statement of Allah Ta'ala, اِعْلَمُوا أَنَّمَا الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا لَعِبٌ وَلَهْمٌ وَزِينَةٌ وَتَفَاخُرٌ بَيْنَكُمْ وَتَكَاثُرٌ فِي الْأَمْوَالِ وَالْأَوْلَادِ You people should know, verily, the dunya is nothing but playing around. It's a game, it's a lot. You people are playing the NBA, the NFL, the Super Bowl, what's going on with Manchester United, Liverpool Football Club. The dunya is just playing around, it's light. And the dunya is also lahu. It's music, it's just wasting time, it's having a good time, it's having a party. And it's also zina. It's a purific it's it's a beautification. It just looks pretty, it's just it's it's just alluring. And the dunya is nothing but the fahurumbainaku. It is your mutual bragging amongst yourselves. I have this car, I have these clothes, I have this Gucci bag, I have these glasses, I have these shoes. I live in this part of the neighborhood. I have this degree. My children are doing this. I have an extension. Let me keep up with yours and do a better extension. Look what I got. Look what you have. I have more sons than you. I've been married more times than you. I have more money than you. This is all the dunya is. And the dunya, Allah said, is this your mutual trying to accumulate the dunya. Accumulate the dunya. Even to the point where, as it happened recently, a very cold day, recently we went to the janazah of one of our brothers from the Gambia who lost his child after eight months, and it was cold out there. It was a dreary day. Allah Ta'ala mentioned in the Quran, The ayat means that mutually getting things trying to accumulate things. A takathur has caused you people to be forgetful, even to the point that when you visit the graves, one of the meanings of the ayat is people will continuously, constantly 
try to outdo other people and keep up with the Jones and accumulating things better than those who are around him. That's a takathur. That's one of the meanings of this ayat. A person will do this until he dies. And he'll do it and it may cause his death. Work so hard, he dies. The second meaning is what I want to use it for is you guys, you people have been preoccupied by mutually gathering up things even to the point you're still preoccupied when you go to the graves. Someone's janazah and you're still talking about business deals and what's the next move and just kalam fadi. So that is an ayat that tells us the reality of the dunya and there are many more. As for the sunnah, Again, there are many ahadith that this hadith also adds to the issue of the Muslim being aware of the reality of the dunya. The Prophet wasallam said, Ma li walid dunya. What is it about me and the dunya? What you want to know about me and the dunya? The dunya and me. He said, Ma ana fi dunya illa karakib. Istadhalla tahta shajaratin thumma raha wa tarakaha. The example of myself in the dunya is like the example of a person who's just traveling. He's traveling. And in his journey, he got off of his mount, took a rest under the shade of a tree, and then he got on his his mount and continued. That's his example of the dunya. He's just a musafir. He's just a gharib, a traveler, a stranger. He doesn't have, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, his nails in the dunya. The dunya didn't find a place in his heart. The dunya instead is in his hands. He spent from the dunya and he used the dunya to get rewards with Allah Azawajal. He spent sadaqa fi sabilillah for the masjid of that. He spent on his wife, he spent on his children, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. As for the dunya being in his heart and him totally absolutely consuming the dunya, you don't find any hadith of the Prophet ﷺ coveting and trying to go after the latest in terms of what was expensive during his time. And he could have had that. ﷺ. So that ayah goes to show the reality of the dunya and that hadith that we just mentioned, it goes to show that the Prophet ﷺ wasn't from the abna of the dunya. And we have those other ahadith. We're not going to go through all of that. Like the hadith of Yawm al-Qiyamah, Allah is going to bring the richest man that ever lived in the dunya. Some people say up until this point, that was an African man by the name of Mansa Musa. He was the richest man that we know of in history. But he's a Muslim who died on Al-Islam. So it won't be him, inshallah. But the richest man who was, the richest man who was in this dunya would be brought forth. Also, the poorest man in the dunya would be brought forth. The richest man was a kafir, a non-Muslim. And the poorest man was a believer, a mu'min. The rich man will be put in the hellfire. And then he will be asked, did you ever see any good in your life? He'll swear by Allah and say, wallahi, I never saw any khair. Because judging that nod of jahannam, i'adhan billah, to what he had in the dunya is nothing. He said, Wallahi, I haven't seen any good. The poor man will be put in the jannah and it will be said to him, Have you seen any books, any bats? You ever seen any difficult? He'll say, Wallahi, after being put in jannah, 
I never saw any evil. Brothers and sisters, I want to make this point. I've traveled all over the world, alhamdulillah, and I met a lot of poor Muslims. Just a few weeks ago, a few months ago, I was in a place where Muslims are really suffering. I've seen with my own eyes abject poverty. And delivering this lesson and explaining this hadith, I don't want any of the Muslims that I saw and I know in Africa, for an example, who are suffering from poverty, serious poverty, I don't want any of them to think that I'm downplaying what they're dealing with. No. Instead, I'm saying, look at these ahadith of the Prophet ﷺ and put your situation in perspective. And those of us who come and we live in the West, we're not rich. We're not rich. But although we're not rich, our situation compared to many of the Muslims around the globe, we're much better off. And Allah knows best financially. And that's why we have to be from those shakirina allaha kathira wa shakirat. We have to thank Allah a lot. I just don't want those poor Muslims who I know, especially in Africa. I know people who are suffering from abject, abject poverty. And the Prophet ﷺ used to seek refuge in Allah from poverty. He said that poverty was... It is a terrible bed partner. If you have to go to sleep being hungry, your children are going to sleep and they're hungry, it will cause a person to do something that he or she normally wouldn't do. So back to the issue. The ayat clearly indicate, explain to us, explain to us clearly the reality of the dunya. The hadith of the Prophet ﷺ explain to us clearly the reality of the dunya. Those ahadith like the richest man who is a non-Muslim who would be put in the and dipped in the knot of Jahannam. And he is an Ibra. And the poorest Muslim that ever lived, ever known to mankind. He's in the dirt. He has nothing. He will be dipped into the Jannah and asked, have you ever seen any evil? It was rough. You went to sleep hungry. You had no money. You had issues. You didn't know where to turn to, what to deal with. You have nobody but Allah. Be patient. Be patient. Allah won't burden you beyond your scope. Inshallah, you won't be burdened beyond your scope. And also, inshallah, from your yaqeen and your sabr and you get to the jannah, you're going to look at these issues that you're going through right now. Inshallah, and it will be something that you'll say, subhanAllah. Another issue is, we find from the Prophet of Al-Islam, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, a balanced approach to the dunya. Him bringing this Quran that tells us, Don't forget your portion of the dunya. So we don't want our Muslim brothers and sisters, especially from the youth, to come up with the foreign idea of, I just want to go to the masjid every day, and be of those seven people that Allah shades in his shade on the day that there would be no shade. And one of them is the young man who heart, his heart was connected to the Quran, to the masjid. So I just want to go to masjid. I don't want to learn. I want to drop out of school. No. Allah said, don't forget your portion from the dunya. So the Prophet Sallallahu as you're going to see, he didn't forget his portion of the dunya because he had wives. He had people he was responsible for. He had an ummah. Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa was not a bum, as we say in America. He wasn't a bum. 
He was a person who was administrating to the needs of his for his family and the whole community. And you can't do that with your face and your nose in a corner in time out talking about you have checked out of the dunya. It's not our religion. And that's why we have people like Abu Bakr as-Siddiq as an example of a rich person who the dunya was, was in his hands and not as in his heart. He was rich. People like Uthman ibn Affan who to this very day in Medina some of the endowments and the awqaf that he left during that time are worth hundreds and millions of dollars right now. If Uthman was alive right now, he would be one of the richest people in Al-Medina. People like Abdurrahman ibn Auf, people like Abu Talha al-Ansari. May Allah be pleased with all of them. So we have in our religion the total full picture of how to look at the dunya. The reality of the dunya is this, this, and this. The Prophet says, dunya. Fear the dunya. Fear the dunya. He said that the dunya, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that Allah has given you responsibility in it, and the dunya is not the reality. So ayat ahadith. The example of the companions. And then the example of the righteous people who came after them. Like the great scholar of Al-Islam that I hope someone from amongst you goes back to check him out. He's none other than Al-Imam Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak. Abdullah ibn Mubarak was one of the ten Amir al-Mu'mineen in Hadith. In Hadith. He was of the Salaf of this Ummah. The Aqeed of the Salaf. He was from the Ulama in Fiqh. From the Ulama in Aqeedah. And in other aspects of the religion. He was a faqih, a muhaddith, all of those things, a mujahid. And also he was a very rich person. May Allah have mercy upon him. As it relates to the hadith that we're dealing with today, a few things have been mentioned in the hadith. And as you know, the, this book that we're explaining is a book that's talking about the dawah and the dua, the call and the caller. So this hadith, for the most part, is drawing the attention to people who are giving dawah to Allah. To be aware of the reality of our community right now. Don't be a person who you're disconnected between your reality. The people, since I've been a Muslim, especially in the UK, we call them takfiris. People who support Daesh, Boko Haram, Shabab, going overboard. Not realizing the reality of the condition of our ummah, the fiqh, the correct understanding. What's our situation? What are you doing? You have to not be disconnected. So a da'i can get on the mimbar and start giving da'wah, and he's disconnected from the people. He's talking about an issue for a group of people who lived 800 years ago. But his own people right now, right here, not comprehending what he's saying, he has to make his knowledge that he learned in Medina, in Mecca, wherever he learned his knowledge, he has to make it transferable and relatable to his community, his host community. Can't be on some other issue, on some other issue, some other plane. And that's the responsibility of the people of knowledge. And at the top of this are the ulama. 
Sheikh al-Islam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, rahmatullahi alayhi for instance, has a book called Kashf al-Shubahat, which can be translated as clarifying the doubts. There are doubts that Muslims have in 2021 about their religion. They're being overwhelmed with liberalism. They're being overwhelmed with the progressives. They're being overwhelmed with all of these concepts and issues that go against the religion. There are shubahat, many doubts. And there are shahwat, many desires have overwhelmed the normal people today. So the one who's giving dawah has to know the condition of those he's giving dawah to. One of the hadith that's going to come up, inshallah, in this book is when the Prophet sent Mu'adh ibn Jabal, may Allah be pleased with him, to the people of Yemen. And he told him about the people he was going to. So if you're giving dawah, you have to know the condition of the people you're dealing with. I find it utterly amazing and disturbing that sometimes we find people giving dawah and they want to superimpose upon their host country something that's foreign to their community. The community doesn't need that. Go back and warn against Funan and Funan and Funan. Sheikh, why do I have to go back and warn the people against Funan and Funan and Funan when my mother and my father are now Muslims? My two sisters and families are now Muslims. The Muslim community, we need to come up with a way to put in our infrastructure to save ourselves and our children. What are you talking about, Sheikh? But here I am. I take what the Sheikh says and I go to war with people based upon what some foreigner is saying. Foreigner as it relates to my reality. I got to have the ability to make my knowledge transferable, relatable to my host community. That's the point. Not talk to people in some cocoon. It's not real. It's not what the Prophet was about, and that's not what he's brought, what he brought to us. So the hadith mentioned four issues. If this community if you people were to sell al Ina, a Sheikh Al Bani Rahmatullahi Ta'ala alayhi used to always talk about this hadith. And he's the Sheikh of a Sheikh Ali al Halabi. So the fact that Sheikh Ali al Halabi would bring this in his book is not weird to me because I remember Sheikh Al Albani used to always mention this hadith. That's why if you put this hadith in the internet and YouTube in Arabic, the majority of what comes back is what Al Albani had to say about this hadith. You can find what other people said about the hadith, but for the most part, at the top of the list, what your results are going to be, they're going to be saturated with Al-Albani talking about this hadith. And he used to say, Rahmatullahi ta'ala alayhi, that right now in our ummah, the community is weak. Our understanding of Al-Islam, our grasp and our concepts about Al-Islam, our practice and application of those concepts, the way we're practicing Al-Islam, we are weak. We're not a strong community. So therefore, those people who are giving dawah, those people who are passing fatwas, those people who are educating and interacting with the people in the maidan of a dawah, you have to take it easy. Don't deal with the people as if they're back in Baghdad. 
so many years ago. When Imam Ahmed was walking in Baghdad and Ali Madini. No. Don't deal with them like that. The people don't know. This is a time when things are very difficult. If this community started doing trade and commerce with this form of riba. This is just one of the forms. But there's many forms of riba. And the hadith of Al-Bukhari Muslim Abu Hurairah, may Allah be pleased with him. He said that the Prophet says, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, in telling us about the evil of riba, Ijtanibu al-sabal mubiqat. Stay away from the seven major sins that will destroy you. One of those seven is riba. It's from the major sins. Prophet Muhammad said, if you people indulge in this, it's a problem. And he said, if you take the tails of cows, and if you became pleased with agriculture, that's the third thing. Taking tails of cow, it means being coming preoccupied with livestock, our animals, the dunya. And as it relates to agriculture, this is from the Dala'al of Nabuwa. Prophet Muhammad knew that his community, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, will be a community that will be dealing with livestock. They will be dealing with azara. They will be dealing with agriculture way back then. That doesn't negate. People were dealing with IT. People were dealing in the stock market. People were dealing in other high levels of commerce that this hadith is not applicable to you. It's even more applicable to you or just as much. So concerning the second and the third, if you take the tails of cows and if you become pleased with agriculture. So we have a lot of hadith and ayat that talk about the danger, the fitna, and the ni'mah of livestock. And a lot of ayat and many hadith that talk about the danger and the fitna and the ni'mah of agriculture. But there's one ayat amongst the many ayat that mention both of them. And that is the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala telling us the reality of these two situations. Zuyina linnaz, hubbu shahwati min al-nisa'i wal-baneen, wal-qanatila al-muqantirati min al-dhahabi wal-fudda, wal-khayl musawwimati, wal-an'ami wal-harb. Thalika al-hayat al-dunya, wallahu indu husnu al-mu'ab. Allah mentioned in this ayat the second and the third issue that was mentioned in the hadith that we're dealing with today. How it's a fitna for people. He says, subhanahu wa ta'ala, zujina nas. It has been made alluring. It has been made beautified to people. Men, religious, irreligious, prophets and non-prophets, rich and poor, black and white, knowledgeable, non-knowledgeable. It has been made pleasing, alluring, beautiful, coveted, the love of women and the love of children, as well as the hoarding up of wealth, the wealth that consists of gold and silver. Mankind, he has some money, always counting his money, always going to his app. How much money does he have? Transferring money from one account to another account, he just keeps doing that for no reason. Just say, I got money. So the ayah said, it has been made beautiful to you, alluring to you, having wives, women, and having children, as well as hoarding up wealth, gold and silver. And what has been made alluring to you are horses that have been branded like Suleiman, 
sallallahu alayhi Go back and read about Sulaiman, the Nabi of Al-Islam, the son of Dawood, alayhi sallallahu Sulaiman was really, really super impressed and amazed with branded horses. You have to read that surah for jihad and other than that, and just in their beauty. And then the list of the part of the ayah said, and made a learn and beautified to the people, is, you know, al-an'am, the cattle, camel, sheep, cows, goats, all of that. Allah said, that is the hayat of a dunya, and with Allah is the blessed return. So that ayat of the Quran, along with other ayats, show the second one and the third one. If you sell and you preoccupy yourself with the major sin of ina, which is riba, and you become engrossed in dealing with livestock, and you also become preoccupied with dealing with agriculture, and then the fourth one, وَتَرَكْتُمَ الْجِهَادِ And you abandon jihad. If you do these four things, صَلَّتَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْكُمْ ذُلًّا Allah will make you low. And Allah will make you debase. You will be ذَلِيلٌ low. One of the examples of the lowliness, and there are many, i just give you one. If someone would ask you, Ya Akhi, Ya Amat Allah, Ya Amat Rahman, what are the three main messages in Al Islam? They're going to say, In Mecca, the Kaaba, in Medina, Prophet Muhammad's message, and in Bayt al Maqdis in Jerusalem, Masjid al Aqsa. The lowliness is that as a Muslim, the third most important masjid in the world, we can't go to it. Even if you had enough money to go, if you paid all of the money and you took care of all of what you need to do, once you get there, the decision for you to come in or not to come in, as it relates to Benny Adam, is a decision of the Yahud. Ultimately, the decision belongs to Allah. If Allah wants you to go in, no one can stop you. But we're not talking about that. If you want to go to the third major mission in Islam, you're not an extremist. You're not a terrorist. You're just a Muslim who wants to pray in that masjid before you die. You can't get in there unless the Yehud allow you. And it's your masjid. That's a sign of lowliness. And there are many other signs of lowliness, but that's the one that I want to mention here today. So if these four things happen where the Muslims become connected to the dunya, as we had, Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said in authentic hadith, and describing this time, يأتي على الناس زمان لا يبالي المرء ما أخذ من الحلال أم من الحرام. The time is quickly approaching. It's going to come to the people. In that time, the person who's living through that time, he won't care. He won't give a toss, as they say here in the UK. He won't care. Where does his money come from? Where does he take it from? Does he take it from halal or haram? He doesn't care. He doesn't care. He'll steal it from the masjid. He'll steal it from his relatives. He'll steal it from his mother's pocketbook, from a handbag. He'll steal it from the orphans. He doesn't care. Important thing is, I just want money. And this is what the Prophet told us about 
sallallahu alayhi wa ala alayhi wa sallam, that Allah Ta'ala will make you low until you return back to your religion. Until you return back to your religion. And what's the religion? The religion is al-jihad, fi sabirillah. But what jihad? This is one of those many texts that come to us that I can't jump over this text and act like it doesn't exist. We believe in jihad. We support it, its position. But which jihad? The jihad that are in the books of the fiqh of al-Islam. The books of fiqh jurisprudence. The jihad that's been sanctioned. It has its place, its time, its people, its rules, its regulations. Not this nonsense which is facade that these extremists are calling to. These things that are causing problems in our religion. So if you do these four things, Allah will make you low. Prophet Muhammad says, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Bu'ithtu bayna yaday sa'ati bisayf, hatta yu'budallahu wahtuhu, wajju'ila rizqi tahta dhil rumhi, wajju'ila adhullu wassagar ala man khalafa amri, wa man tashabbaha biqawmin fahuwa minhum. He said, I've been sent close to yawm al-qiyamah with a sword in my hand. To spread al-Islam, to protect those people who don't embrace al-Islam, but they pay the jizya. I'm here to spread al-Islam, not at the sword, forcing people to come al-Islam, become Muslims. I've been sent with the sword close to Yom al-Qiyamah so that Allah will be worshipped by himself. And those who go against me, and he says, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, my sustenance has been provided for me under the shade of my spear. The khums, Prophet Muhammad used to get from the jihad. The dunya, he used to get a fifth of the spoils of war. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He didn't just sit twiddling his fingers. He himself would go out and participate in the war. I don't want any Muslim young person come saying, I want to check out don't have anything to do with the dunya. Because Al-Islam said the dunya is bad. Rasulullah said the dunya is not bad. Allah said, la tansa. come in the dunya. Don't forget your portion of the dunya. Don't forget your portion. Allah loves to see the effects of his ni'mah on his slave. So if Allah blessed you with a, law, with a job, Allah loves that you have a nice car that you provided your family with. And yourself with to get back and forth from work and so forth and so on. Providing you're just not arrogant about it. So the Nabi of Islam, sallallahu alayhi wa ala alayhi wa sallam, brought a religion that clearly tells us if we get away from these things, we're going to be subjected to lowliness and be debased. The Prophet told us in many, many ahadith similar to this, sallallahu alayhi wa ala alayhi wa sallam. Like the hadith, the time is fastly approaching where the different nations are going to come against this ummah the same way that a group of people converge on a plate. Different multiple diners. They come together and they converge to eat from the same plate. When the companions heard that, they thought it was shocking. The Yahud, the Nasara, the other people from the Mushrikeen. Ya Rasulullah. They're coming to get us. They're all united and coming to get this ummah. Someone said, Is it because 
We will have few numbers. You know how the non-Muslims are. They're bullies when you're few. They're bullies when you're not that many. They have a lot to say. They want to be pumped up. They're bullies. Is it because we're a few number? So all of the different nations, he says, he said, no, the Muslims will be many in number on that day. You'll be over a billion people as you are today. You're over a billion people. You're a billion people. But Allah has made you like the scum, like the foam, the scum of the ocean. The foam of the ocean, weak. Allah will take out of the hearts of your enemy fear of you, as they used to have during the time of the Prophet Prophet Muhammad was given five things no other prophet was given before him. One of those things he said, Nusirtu bi rub masirat shahr. I have been made victorious by the length of a month's journey. If I set out to get my enemy, the amount of time that it takes me to get there from here to there, 29 days, 30 days, a month, before I get there, they would have already given up. They would have been afraid. How many of his companions coming to get you? That's how it was in the beginning of Islam. Any of the non-Muslims heard? Oh boy, Muhammad is not happy with you. You did something wrong. You broke your contract. How many of his companions coming to get you? Those people were scared. The hadith said Allah would take that and muhaba out of the hearts of your enemy. And foe in your hearts, the Muslims, al-wahin. They said, what is wahin? Allah is going to take out of the heart of the enemy, the fear of us, and throw in our hearts and one, what is that? He said, love of the dunya and hate and death. Hate and death doesn't mean that the Muslims should be negligent, walking around, wanting to die and trying to die. The best of you is the one who lives a long time and he has good deeds. That's what the hadith said, so we should try to live a long time. But the Muslim is a person who has principles and he's ready to live and die based upon his principles. He's ready to live and die based upon his principles. So when a person doesn't want to die, defending his principles, it becomes an issue. And this was one of the many reasons when the prophet described our children. He said, Al-Walid is something your child will make you stingy. You don't want to spend. You want to save money to spend on your child. Your child will make you a coward. You don't want to go out and defend the truth because you don't want anything to happen to you so that your child will be fatherless. I have to go through anything like that. So the Muslim is that individual who, hey, I'm a person of principles and I got to step up to the plate and stand up for what I believe in. That could be with the Muslims, with the non-Muslims, with my neighbor. I'm not one of those people just trying to stay under the radar all the time and I have nothing to say and people can't see me when things get up and they present themselves. No, Muslim is a person that has a mabda. So this is the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sallam taslim in kathira. The hadith is telling the du'at of al-Islam. Know the condition of the Muslims that you're dealing with in Africa. In Africa, 
our African brothers and sisters, and don't think for one minute Africa is poor. Africa is rich, is rich, but the West keeps Africa in that condition to keep draining it of its resources. But in Africa, many of the countries in Africa, they're very poor, very poor. You have to get money to go to school. Your children have to pay for school. Not like in the UK. You just got to get up, put your kids' clothes on, take them to school, and that's it. But in Africa, they have to pay to go to school. You have to pay when you go to the hospital. The NHS here is not perfect, but it's better than what you find in the so-called third world. And this is why we have to take precautions with this issue of the COVID. Because we put a strain that's even more on the NHS. The NHS is not comparable to what you find in the third world countries of the Muslims. Drama. In these countries, people are suffering the basics that we take for granted. And me as a Dai, I'm giving Dawah, and I'm in those countries, and I'm from the people of those countries. And I get on the minbar, and I get behind the microphone, and I start talking to people about things that are not related to their situation. Like a jahwa ta'adil, for an example. Or I'm teaching people, and I'm just teaching them hizbiyah. I'm teaching them about politics, uh, just emotional. I'm not really teaching them their religion. I'm teaching them about our group, and I'm teaching them khurafat, and to make shirk with Allah, and I'm teaching them that, not understanding that the condition of the people necessitates that we start from the beginning and teach them that which will be beneficial with them or to them. This is what we want to present and Allah Azawajal Rabbuna is a'la and a'lam hadha wa sallallahu wa sallam wa barak ala nabiyyina subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika ashadu an la ilaha illa ant astaghfiruka wa tubu ilayk this recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org.